Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Bhutang Dhammang Sankhang Namasami. So, um, this theme of simplicity and letting go sounds really easy, doesn't it? And I think it's very much what the Buddha was pointing to. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. And let go. Let go of what is not ours in the first place. So it gets complicated because we uh, take things to be ours that are not ours or take things to be ourselves that are not ourselves. And uh, I don't know, some of you joined the Qigong a few minutes ago with Lissa and uh, during that time, you know, part of the Practice is to let go, let go of excess energy, stuff that we've held on to that isn't needed, isn't really ours. It's just kind of hanging around. And so uh, nature is is dynamic and it's it's a constant exchange of energy all the time. There's a constant exchange of the elements. They're constantly moving and changing, transforming. And there's a constant exchange of energy and movement of energy. And this is the nature of things. And then uh, we somehow um, hold on to things that, that actually want to move on. We get into these knots and tangles. Well, in a way, you could say what what uh, what we could call me and mine is in itself a bit of a knot and a tangle. And when we untangle the tangle, when we unravel the knot, then there's uh, there's more just a, a flow. We're in a state of presence and responsiveness. So this is what the Buddha was pointing us to. And uh, the teaching is very simple and straightforward in many ways. And when you understand it intellectually, it kind of seems like, yeah, that's uh, doable. But um, our habits and our tendencies can be uh, much deeper and stronger than we initially give them credit for so it takes it takes um, steady attention steady intention to transform those old habits and to unravel the knot and free ourselves so that we can live in a more responsive and uh, awake state 
And it is these very simple things that keep us caught. Greed. Greed for sense pleasures, greed for beautiful, delicious, wonderful things. Aversion, wanting to get rid of things, wanting to control things to be the way we think they should be. And uh, delusion, delusion is a little more complex. Delusion is multifaceted and uh, infinitely creative in its manifestations. And uh, awareness itself, present sati, is what can cut through delusion. So it's really actually pretty simple, but it ain't so easy. You know, I've been working away at this for some time now and uh, not finished. <laughs> Still quite a bit of work to do. But, uh, you know, if we're, if we're in a hurry to get to the end of the goal and to be in that state of, of uh, perfect freedom, then we might give up a little too early. So it's uh, taking the long view that this is a practice that we pick up and it's a practice of returning to presence and uh, of bringing our awareness back to what is happening here and now again and again and seeing how we meet this moment. Now, are we meeting it with boredom? Or frustration, anger? Are we uh, caught up in a, a hornet's nest of thoughts? Are we only open to the blissful and not to anything else? So to sort of see what, how do we meet this moment? Can we turn towards this experience as it is and be interested in what's going on? Be interested in, in what, is, what is arising now? What is present now? So just right now, at this moment, be aware of what is present in your life, in your room, in your life, in your body, in your mind. Just check in and see, is there an openness to this? Or is there uh, some resistance or some irritation, agitation? Is there wanting to be someone else, somewhere else? Is there wanting our mind state to be different to how it is? Just, Just knowing, just getting to know how we 
can lean in one direction or another and miss dropping into this present experience. So when we bring our attention back to the present, if we're really honest and, uh, you know, we're not trying to tell ourselves a story of who we are or push away any kind of uncomfortable bits, then uh, we meet what is here. We meet the the residues of um, maybe stories that we've been told or um, actions that we have done or not done or things that we've said or not said. We're kind of left with the, the residue of, of, our, of our conditioning and, our, and what we've done with that. And so just to check in and see, you know, so it could be, you may find that uh, there's some space where once before there was maybe a shutdown or a, or turmoil or desire. You might find that you've created some space through your practice over the years, over the weeks, over the moments. So just checking in and seeing if that's so or not. It's very important to appreciate the work that we have done and not always look to the far distant mountain that we want to climb. So just checking in and seeing, you know, what is what is absent actually, what is absent that maybe once burdened us. What is uh, open that was maybe once closed? What feels free that maybe once felt cluttered? It doesn't have to be perfect. So when I check in, I can see, well, there's still a little bit of agitation there. Heart's a little, uh, little agitated. It's not, it's not completely settled. But there's a lot more space than there was once upon a time. Just appreciating that, breathing into that. And, uh, you know, we've been focusing on the wisdom teachings, the teachings of interdependence and not self. So far we've touched into those teachings. And uh, a very important accompaniment to that teaching, those teachings were, you know, um, Anyway, kind of half those what what supports those teachings or those insights are the the loving practices, also the heart practices. And I remember when I was first uh, practicing in the monastery, first number of years, you never heard the L word. <laughs> People didn't talk about love. It was uh, you could talk about metta. There's like a benevolence and karuna, compassion, and mudita, appreciative joy, and upeka, which is a sort of very 
subtle and deep and profound kind of love. But we, we didn't use that L word, the love word. And uh, I feel it's, a, it's an important word to use. And there was this idea that love is somehow connected with desire and with uh, entanglement and with wanting. But I would say that love, true love, is, uh, is none of those things. It's, um, it's warm, it's kind, it's patient, it's interested. It's bigger than us, so much bigger than we are. Um, it's generated by all of the all of the great beings, you know, of all all different religions or no religion, <clears throat> all of the great beings. They're part of their um, part of what they manifest. And part of what they embody is love, love and wisdom. So I want to use the L word because uh, even if it makes you uncomfortable, because I feel it's a very important part of the practice. And without um, without opening to a greater love, you know, a greater um, force than this little person here the me and mine we, we it's, it's hard to get out of the the um the story of me doing something trying to get somewhere it's kind of hard to get out of that story without opening to a greater field so um You know, the Buddha's teaching isn't a, it isn't just a love teaching. Some teachings are. The Buddha's teaching isn't that. It's, but it, it is love and wisdom that, that come together. So all throughout the suttas, the Buddha speaks about the Brahma Viharas, the, the divine abodes. And uh, it's clear that these are not ultimately liberating, as far as we can tell. So you don't get the final, last letting go through cultivating these qualities, but they can take you a long way. And they are a huge support in unraveling the sense of self. And it's the sense of self that kind of feels awkward with, oh, no, not that love stuff, (laughs) not that heart stuff, oh, no. It's the sense of self that feels a little uncomfortable about that. And and it's the and it's the head, the intellect, the thinking mind, that says no, I can't do it, or I won't do it. And the the head, the the thinking mind, for many of us, assumes a certain position of superiority over everything, over the body, over the heart over perhaps other people, <laughs> over animals, over plants, over rocks, over the earth. So the, the uh, intellect has this uh, 
superiority conceit tends to. So I like to challenge that a little bit because uh, if we just follow that, if we just stay with that, uh, we won't get very far. We might uh, have lots of clever ideas and lots of uh, quite brilliant understanding of things intellectually, but it's not going to be liberating understanding. For the understanding to be liberating, it needs to be, it needs to come down into the, into the heart and into the body. So uh, personally, it took me a long time to come into the body I tended to be up here floating around, even sort of a little bit higher, floating around with uh, various ideas and thoughts and enjoying, you know, the the sort of dreaming and thinking and reading. and, And the realm of thought is so much lighter than the embodied realm. It can be, and it's, and you're kind of, you know, it's kind of a private space too, isn't it? You know, even if you're if you're with people all the time, you can just I I used to do this, you just pop out for a little while somewhere nice. Not have to not have to be with these difficult people or, or engaging in this difficult conversation. I'll just I'll just go to my it wasn't exactly a cave, it was a bit more light than that, but I just I'm just gonna pop out to this other place and lead these people to get on with their conversation and nobody's going to notice because my body's still here you know but then uh, when I moved to California people started to notice in the UK they didn't but in the <laughs> California there's always a therapist somewhere in the room <laughs> so people started to notice <laughs> and then they'd call me on it, you know. They would look, you know. I'd be, I'd be going to my nice, peaceful place, and then they would look. Oh, what's happened to her? She's, she's popped out. You know? And then I'd feel like, oh, I have to come back. You know? I've been caught. <laughs> so, uh, so I've had to work hard at um, coming into the body and and staying present. And really, without without a bit of love, it's it's very hard to do. And some of you will probably have that love already, and it, it won't be hard at all. And you'd be wondering what on earth I'm talking about because it's just part of who you are, what you are, and that's wonderful. And some of you might be going, "Oh no, does that mean I really have to do those Brahma Vihara practices?" <sighs> some of you might be saying, thinking that. And, uh, you know, we've all experienced love in some way or another, even if it was just for a moment. Might be with a cat or with a a good friend or a lover or a teacher. You know, even as a child, sometimes I would experience it with a rock. There was a, a large rock, which I just saw recently. There was a big rock that stuck out of um, um, this hillside. It's kind of a sacred um, range of hills. And there was one rock when I went and clambered up and lay on it. It felt so loving. There was a sense of like, oh, it's resting. It was, for me, it was like resting in my grandfather's lap. That's how it felt to me. 
just like a very loving energy. So even the earth itself has places that uh, hold us, can hold us in that way. So it can be helpful just to to recall uh, a place or a person or a situation where that we've tasted that love. Maybe it was early on before you learnt not to let it in. <laughs> or maybe it was uh, later on when you started to learn that it was okay to let it in. And just to see if you can um, touch into that feeling of belonging, being part of, being welcome. Because, you know, here we are. Here we are, we've, we've, we've arisen, we are arising. So what are we going to do, bash it down? Or uh, try, and, try and shut down this experience of life? Can we turn towards it with a sense of interest? Can we notice the places where we feel overwhelmed, where we start to get annoyed, or where we just get lost in greed? You know, can we notice those moments in a way that's not just running after, just following them blindly, and it's not judging them? It's like, oh, there it goes. There's that old. There's, there are the old habits. They're bringing bringing a bit of kindness to the process of of learning and of unravelling this story of self. So we might have experienced moments in meditation or even long periods of time in meditation where the sense of self drops away. And that's very wonderful. It's very wonderful. And that gives us a little taste of what is possible, you know. But for most of us, you know, we can't spend our whole life in meditation. And even if we did, we may not be able to access that place again, especially if we really want it. Like uh, the more we run after it, the more it eludes us. So, you know, we need to be able to unravel the story of self in this, you know, in, in our daily life as well as in our meditation. One one can support the other. And, uh, you know, we're all far from perfect. Unless there's somebody there, and even in the room here, who, you know, I may be wrong about that. But generally speaking, we're all far from perfect. And we all can see the things that are lacking in ourselves, and, or that are too much in ourselves. And, and we can all see other people who with qualities that we admire and 
appreciate and respect and maybe even want to have. And, and it's this one, you know, the one that we live with every day that we have to make peace with and uh, have kindness for. You know, this is this is the this particular configuration. This one, yours, is what we have been given to with to awaken. This is the tool that we have to awaken. This is the karmic predicament that we have right now. That we have an opportunity to transform and uh, be liberated from, not by getting away from, not by being averse and trying to get away from who we are, but by understanding, by turning toward with with kindness and I want to say with love, but I know some of you won't want to swallow that. So turning towards with kindness and getting interested in what's going on here. And not in a self-absorbed kind of a way. This is not about being self-absorbed, but it's about being present and interested. So sati, awareness, and dhamma-vijaya, um, investigating what's, what's going on. These, these are factors that lead to awakening. <clears throat> so um, I don't know if I have a lot more to say, but uh, I just really wanted to bring in the, uh, the qualities of, of love. And uh, just to let you know right now at the beginning of the retreat that you're not going to get away with avoiding them the whole time. They're going to come in again and again, uh, alongside the wisdom practices. They belong together and they will support each other. So uh, as, as strong as any, so if you feel a strong sense of no, you know, or block, when I talk about the love practices, that's exactly where you need to get interested. Right there. Even if it's a complete an utter armoured no, that's exactly where you need to get interested. So this, uh, this practice is a, is, a, is a gradual dissolving and dismantling of the self. And not, not in a way that we end up as a kind of puddle on the floor, but uh, in a way that we have more lightness and uh, responsiveness and presence and acceptance, acceptance of the limitations of a body and a mind. And just to say that the body also, the body holds great wisdom. Bodies often get a bad rap in, uh, in Buddhism. <laughs> the Buddha does point to you know, the limitations of the body, which is, is also very important for undoing the uh, strong attachment to this body as me and mine. 
Um, but when we practice the element, the you know, the, do the elements practice that I said the tutor was pointing to earlier today, then we start to touch into the wisdom of the body. So the body, at least when I look at this body, when I really listen deeply to this body, it's not afraid of dying because it knows what it is. It knows that it's a process that's just doing this for a while. The body doesn't even call itself an antibody. The body's just doing its thing. These elements coming together for a while. And it's completely cool with that. It knows where it came from. It knows what's going on now. It knows where it's going. It's no problem. Not even a flicker of problem about that. And the mind, the heart and the mind are a little bit more, ooh, hang on a minute, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, it's, it's the mind that's uh, fearful, attached. The body itself's just doing its thing. So we need to uh, listen to the body. The body holds a lot of wisdom. Potentially there's a lot of peace in the body. And again, it's something that for me, it wasn't so in the beginning of my practice. It wasn't a place that felt peaceful or safe even. And then over time and uh, with practice and with letting go, it's really become a place of, uh, well, ordinariness, I guess. <laughs> the way it's, it's, it's okay to be here. And uh, and like I say, if I really listen deeply, the body is totally okay with things as they are. So, uh, so we have to take care of this body and listen to the body and also take care of our mind, heart and mind. And not let the mind believe, not, not follow that story that the mind knows everything. But it really is the one that's, you know, got the real knowledge, the real wisdom. I think uh, until we're liberated, it's the mind that has the delusion. It has the, the fear and the attachment and the identification. So we're learning little by little to free that up. And in order to do that, we do have to turn towards, you know, what what is, we have to look at the knots in order to unravel the knots. And uh, for me, this um, teaching on anatta, not self, the, the wisdom teaching, is a huge support in that. So the anatta teaching is not to the anatta is not saying it's not a denial of the self. It's understanding that this is a process. What I call me and mine. This is a process, ever changing, every moment. And uh, because of that there's an opportunity to get interested in what's going on and understand what's going on and uh, undo some of the tangles 
if I if I come from a place of you know solid me, me and my history and my social location and my family and and all of that, if I come only from that place, it's very difficult to to move. It gets it gets more and more solid, and it's also it is also part of you know it does influence my life the way you know all of those things i've just mentioned do have an influence and they're not ultimately who what i am so there's this uh, possibility of transformation when we meet this sense of self as a process and uh, you know also there are times when we make big blunders you know we we do things that we've we wish the world you know, that expression we wish the earth would open up and swallow us you know there can be those moments you know and when the, and when we know that this is a process we can be with those moments too we can stay present with those moments and let them shake through us and and uh, feel that awkward sense of oh no and then they pass and we're still here We've survived it. And we've even stayed present with it. So this this uh, this staying present with the process is is pretty essential to both seeing and unraveling this uh, story of self. So they seem uh, counter you know, it seems like the emptiness, the not-self and loving, you know, how do they fit together? So that will be our exploration over these days. How can you love what is, what is empty, what is not there? Perhaps how can you not love? <laughs> anyway, we'll explore over these days this um, this coming together of of form and the formless, and of uh, love and emptiness, of self and not self, of uh, simplicity and letting go. So I'm going to end there.